Connacht now with three away victories on the bounce and still top of the Guinness Pro 12. And off goes Ireland! Nothing one dimensional about that from the Connacht winger who somehow managed to magic his way through that fallible monster defence. Here is with the spectacular finish. And is that the try that ends the 29-year try for Connacht? 1986 was the last time Connacht won at this venue. This place bounces again. Bounces with the home side who thinks like that. Dennis Buckley, and they've done it three times today. Only a look at the thing that catches him. Oh, can Barry get there? Barry thinks it has. My goodness, he chased that with all the heart he had in that green collar show. Hello ladies and gents, welcome to this week's edition of Action Replay Extra Time where we put the we- this week's major scoring news under the microscope. This week's victims happen to be rugby and soccer. I'll have Gavin O'Callaghan discussing the Republic of Ireland friendlies which occurred this week. But first I am joined with Billy Keenan to discuss Pro 12 after a phenomenal upset took place within the provinces. How about Connacht, Billy? Oh, it was... As a fantastic support, uh, as a Leinster supporter, it's uh, I didn't know whether to be upset or proud. Like it was fantastic seeing Connacht getting that win. It it definitely did a lot to stop the dampening of of Leinster's loss to them. You know, seeing Connacht, uh, Pat Lamb was was quite calm afterwards. I think he was in the campus saying, "Well, what's the big deal about beating Leinster? We're at home. Why should we be so so delighted with it?" But you know, you saw it on the players' face that they knew what it meant, and I think that put a you know a bright spark on the day as a Leinster supporter. Do you agree with uh, Thornley as as big as a win as a province has perhaps ever known? Against this Lancer side, you know, returning internationals, probably in the con- context of their season where they're heading and yeah. looking for a semi-final, uh, you know, they they beat Toulouse a, a year or two ago, may, I think in Pat Lamb's first season away from home, that was massive. And then there's just performance against Harlequins in the, the Challenge Cup. And But I think in the context of the importance of four points that, you know, a team needs, it's probably the, the best victory that they've ever gotten. Because, you know, under Leo Cullen, this is actually a pretty good Lancer side. Do you think that the way, the manner that they won even adds to it even more that they had their backs against the wall for much of that second half? You know, the wind, they didn't, me and you were both discussing earlier in the week that we we felt that Connacht didn't use make use of that kind of diagonal wind into into that far corner from where the TV was from the TV camera was. Do you not do you think that it was just the manner of the wind that uh, makes it even more special? Yeah, I think maybe even more rather than the first half. Look at the second half. You know, we saw in Leinster's case in the first half, Luke McGrath was box kicking it out, and you know, ninety degree kick, ninety degree. It went yeah. straight up uh, and it made no yardage whatsoever. But he, he kept at it rather than you know maybe passing it back to his 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 wingers and, and trying to grubber through that might have been something for Sexton to do if he was involved but he wasn't but then we looked at Connick's performance and yeah as a supporter you, you you kind of instinctively just want to kick the ball away but sometimes but Connacht, you know, consistently refused to kick that ball away and they played a lot of rugby in their own 22 you know the 10 metre line from the halfway so that was 
as a Leinster supporter, I'm thinking, great. But at the same time, I'm going, what are Connick trying to do? And they just blatantly refused to kick the ball away. And, you know, Luke McGrath showed that it didn't work. But I don't see, you know, Leinster's offence meant that Connick trying to run it out of their half didn't, you know, work a whole lot either. Yeah, little steppers like Bundy Aki, even like Sir John Muldoon, Ali Muldowney getting around the first defender. And, and you know, falling over the game line was about the, the greatest yards they made. But... I think they made more use than probably Pat Lamb would have wanted of that wind in the first half, you know, drilling it into the into the corner. Pat Lamb's very, very much in favour of uh, running rugby and, and we saw lots of that. But I think Tiernan O'Halloran has, you know, shown that he's got a bit of a kicking element to his game, which was impressive to see. Um, do you think that, did the, did the discipline of Connacht really impress you? And do you think that was a major factor in the victory? Because I think Leinster were looking for, not looking for a penalty, but, you know, they were on that 22 for so long that, you know, it was a perfect area to get to get a penalty. And I, I, I was ex- only expecting the the referees at some stage to blow the whistle. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting you said that uh, referee, Nigel Owens, was in the middle. <laughs> I think we were blessed to have Nigel Owens in yeah. the middle of that. I wouldn't harp on about referees as much as some people would in terms of quality in the Pro 12, Mm -hmm. but I definitely do think that Nigel Owens, even on an international stage, is above and beyond, you know, the top two or or, or three, you know, the the bottom, underneath him, I mean. So he's a step above a lot of other referees. So to have him in the middle of that that contest, and I saw before the match that he'd only refereed you know, five or six Pro 12 games that season. He only took control of, of one uh, Six Nations match. So they've really, uh, World Rugby have been looking to give kind of big games to referees who need the experience. Yeah. But having Nigel Owens in the middle of that meant that he he dictated the game by not dictating it. He stood back and he let running rugby in and actually, you know, huge passages of play unfold. And in terms of the Connacht defence, well, Lens were, you know, bludgeoning their way up against that line. Reese Ruddock, you know, looked physically exhausted in that first half. Yeah. He made so many carries and it, it definitely showed in the second half. But... Leinster were, you know, they had that clutch mentality. They are a championship winning team, three hunting cups in four years. You would have just assumed, just Leinster being Leinster and Connacht being Connacht, that Connacht would have given a penalty away, and they didn't. And, you know, it was it was a fantastic, as an Irish supporter who does preach for proud provinces, yeah. you know, I am in favour of provinces doing well when they're not playing Leinster. But every other time against that, it's great to see provinces doing well. Uh, I completely agree. But from a Leinster point of view, Obviously, it's a. We keep saying it's a fantastic win for Connacht, but do you think Leinster will bounce back? Do you think that this is a? It's going to prove as a maybe a mental block in future fixtures against Connacht. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, Leinster went to the Sports Ground last year and lost as well. You know, that's a two on the trot. Um, you know, Connacht came to the RDS earlier in the season and it was a, a dreadful weather, but it was a dogged affair and, and the likes of Sean O'Brien and Josh van der Fleer really stood out that day. So we can look at Leinster as, as really winning that match in the RDS and I don't think Leinster, you know, deserved to probably win the match against Connacht. Yeah, you know, I think a fair result, you know, 7-6, you know, such a low-scoring game, it shows the margins in such a low-scoring game, people talk about the margins and they kind of throw that out. But, you know, Connacht got one chance off that Marmion try and they took it. Leinster didn't. They they knocked away at penalties, but they didn't ultimately get the, the dry or the win. Um, we, we were also mentioning before, a few, di- a few days ago, Luke Fitzgerald, how it's, it's kind of a sad state of affairs with, with, with Luke. Uh, as a Leinster, from a Leinster perspective, how, how down in the dumps is his situation? Uh, it's, it's pretty down in the dumps. You know, Luke Fitzgerald... 
without being Leinster biased and you know I do look a lot of at other provinces you know Luke Fitzgerald is one of our more exciting players you know we saw his performances in the World Cup he got that try against Argentina and he just lit the world alight came back to his province and put in some incredible performances at number 12 against Toulon and, and the likes of Wasp so you know, running into that Six Nations campaign, he said it himself, he wouldn't be as bold to think that he'd be in the starting team, but he definitely imagined that he'd be in the 23. For Lukey to pick up that injury, you know, in an open training session, I I wasn't thinking at, looking at it as an accumulation of all the other injuries. I was saying, you know, it's, it's, it's just so unlucky. It could have happened to anybody, but coming back and getting that stinger and they said stinger, but with Fitzgerald, it always seems to drag out to be, you know, two weeks instead of one. And for him to be injured, uh, it's really disappointing as a Lancer supporter because he adds a huge amount of excitement to that back line that was probably missing under Matt O'Connor. Moving on on to Munster, you know, it was it was a match they really really needed to win. Um, but do you think that Foley has learned anything from from this match against Zebra at home? Can you learn a whole lot against you know against <coughs> Zebra? I'm not sure if he can. Um, yes. You know, the, the mantra is you can only play what's in front of you and it is important to put on 40, 50 points. But I don't think that that Munster team is... Yeah, they put they put 40 points or 50-odd points on uh, on Zebra. But, you know, Leinster looking at home, they put 52 points on Zebra in the RDS back in February, you know, with a pretty weak team. Probably what Leinster would consider a bit weaker than Munster would have put out yeah. against them. Munster coming to the, uh, to the Aviva Stadium next week... Without being disrespectful, you know, Lencer should without a doubt be winning this game. If they don't, it will be Munster performing beyond and above their abilities that we've that we've seen in this season so far. You know, looking at that starting team we were talking earlier, they've just signed, you know, John Andres and, and Darren O'Shea. You know, Darren O'Shea was performing quite well for, for them in their promotion in the Premiership, yeah. but now they're in the Premiership and he hasn't had a consistent run of games since January. And even those were uh, were Challenge Cup games. It wasn't Premiership rugby. And he's behind, you know, Dunico Callan, who was released from Munster because he wasn't getting the game time. I don't see how bringing in a, a player who's considered less, you know, capable than Dunico Callan is going to, you know, it, it's stopping the sinking ship. It's, it's merely keeping them floating. John Andres, you know, yeah, he's Irish qualified and they can't afford, you know, even in the non-Irish qualified, you know, system in the IRFU, they can't afford maybe to bring in a a foreign tight end. But, you know, John Andres, he's not going to set the world alight. And I don't see how it's it's going to improve Munzer. You know, looking at that Leinster game, uh, you know, in the Aviva Stadium, Leinster have the likes of Johnny Sexton to bring back. You know, Sean O'Brien's probably away from injury, but Devon Toner on the pitch from the start, Jack McGrath on the pitch from the start. Uh, I think it's going to add, you know, a lot more than the players that Munster can bring in. Munster are still, I mean, Peter Manny's still a, a good bit away, and and Stander, yeah, Stander will bring a lot of physicality. And if Munster are going to, he's just one player though. In, in fairness, exactly. Too. And I, no disrespect to that, the, the forwards in Munster, but he's just one player. May, maybe he, he had a fantastic six stations. There's no doubt about that, but. Uh, I, I think they need a little bit more than, than just one CJ standard. They yeah. probably need two or three. Of them. Yeah, a few, you know, <laughs> eight CJ standards would be uh, fantastic. Ideal, but yeah. they, they have a few of those. You know, you look at the, perm- the performances of Dunica Ryan. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he, he was fantastic mm-hmm. for Ireland after Mike McCarthy was injured. He was performing quite well. And then the likes of Billy Holland. Billy Holland gets a bit of stick, but, you know, he's 30 years of age. He's been around the setup and, you know, he never stops working. So that's that's a. 
a great tribute for a month's back. And then the likes of Dave Kilcoyne and, and James Cronin, you know, they're hard-hitting props. And I think, uh, you know, combination of Mike Sherry and um, Duncan Casey, who's on his way back, you know, they're two pretty good hookers as well. So... I don't think Leinster are going to bully the Munster pack around, but I think it'll just be in terms of wit and cleverness. You know, you have the likes of, you know, Toner, McGrath, even Heaslip. They're probably a bit more tactically astute than the Munster back. If if we look at, uh, well, obviously oh, there was a kind of a practice match feel in that game against Zebri, but a lot of their, their scores came from joys from lineouts and running malls. But, you know, the old Munster way, the, the running mall, there was a few penalty tries in the game. But do you think now if if Devin comes, Devin Toner comes back into that team for Leinster, it, it, they're going to have to find another avenue to find some joy against Leinster well uh, you know Devon Tone is very very important to the Leinster line I mean just his sheer size but he <coughs> does run that line out but also Ross Maloney I mean Ross Maloney weighs absolutely nothing in terms of the second row which means he's a joy for those lifters to, lift, to actually lift you, you can air. throw him up all day and it actually you know people don't really look at it but if you're lifting up a you know 130 odd kilo dev toner every every few minutes you're just going to be knackered like let's let's be fair so Ross Maloney is a joy and and having Dominic Ryan and you know maybe even Jamie Heaslip who can be quite smart in that line out will be important for Leinster um, I think you know, a factor for Munster is hopefully Francis Saeeli will come back. I mean, that's he's been a man possessed for months of the season coming from the Auckland Blues. Their game against Leicester, Leicester Tigers in Welford Road, I felt that, you know, Francis Saeeli was a one-man army, even not even CJ Stander. Francis Saeeli was running that game. and yeah. There were times when he was running from the other side of the pitch to make tackles that other people were dropping off of. And it, there was a, a clip to him, you know, when he got shrugged off, uh, off into touch. He kind of looked around at the team and said, what am I doing here? And that was a dreadful performance by Munster. But I think that they've picked up a little bit, you know, Stander's going to be even... Know, even more of a monster after the Six Nations so hopefully Saeedi will come back because you know one of these big derbies you want to see the best players in each province on the pitch especially in the Aviva you know it's yeah. going to be such an, a, a fantastic affair for anyone who goes to it I, I'd imagine um, but I'm going to just have to push you for a score prediction I think Leinster will win it's a bit of a cop out but if Munster are going to compete they're going to have to be playing against you know a level that a lot higher than they've shown yeah. throughout this season uh, you know score wise I'd like to see a few tries from Leinster you know these one off runners with the likes of Ruddock and uh, Dominic Ryan soaking up you know huge you know huge uh, you know, it takes up a huge toll on them. So these one-off runners in the 22, it's kind of similar to Joe Schmidt. It's not as effective, but I'd like to see the likes of Ringrose and Teo and, and Nisewa at full-back yeah. kind of unlocks the back three. And we saw that wonder try against uh, against Munster in Thomond Park. So I'd like to see some tries from Leinster. And, you know, a Sexton back, uh, you know, with his goal kicking as well. Madigan's, you know, very skewed in that, in that area. But Sexton even un- just unlocking the back line, I'm looking at a Leinster victory. Um, moving to Connacht, they go to Ulster away. We were on Friday. Um, we were just talking about how both both the managers are. We we have admiration for both managers. Um, you're on about uh Leinster scoring tries against Munster, but a lot of these games between the provinces, I know a lot of it's been down to conditions, but they've been less than twenty twenty five points yeah. in, in the games. Do you see this going the, the same way in Ulster? I'm not sure. You know, Ulster in Connacht, they've normally been. They've only put a, a good few trials away. I think Connacht will be really happy with their defence against Leinster because, you know, Leinster have been scoring tries. Yeah. So it's probably more of a reflection on Connacht stopping that that aspect of Leinster's game. But looking at Ulster, 
under Les Kiss and Neil Doak. Don't forget Neil Doak. He, he's been behind, you know, some of these magnificent moves under Mark Anscombe and even going back to Brian McLaughlin. So Neil Doak getting his hands back on the likes of Luke Marshall, Stuart McCluskey, uh, Trimble should be back, and Stu Olden at a... Uh, at fullback, he normally plays it inside centre. He's another one who who's electric, and he showed that in his. I think it was his debut against uh, Georgia in the Aviva. Probably wasn't his debut, but also have a fantastic backline, and I definitely think they're going to miss the likes of of Nick Williams. But another factor that could easily play into that, as well as heading up to Ravenhill, it's not a good place to go as no, a Lancer supporter. We've seen some dark days up there, some f- good ones, but you know Connacht have a six day turnaround and the physical toll of that Leinster match will have been huge and um, you know we we, it's going to be definitely a tough one for Connacht I'm not sure if they're going to come away with the the victory well you're not sure how they're going to come away with the victory but you know this is rugby it's an unpredictable sport (laughs) how do you you see Connacht getting that Ulster and you know as I've said finding some joy against Ulster against a, a a, a, a tough, a tough place to go, Ravenhill. Any, any day, any season of of, of weather. But uh, how do you think Connacht can win it at Ulster on Friday? Yeah, Ulster performed really well at at, at uh, Ravenhill now Kingspan Stadium. At you know, it's still Ravenhill in many people's eyes. If Connacht are gonna are gonna compete, it's gonna have to come from the man who's performed for them so far in the derbies. You know, Bundy Aki. Uh, you know, playing alongside uh, an inexperienced Peter Robert, thought he acquitted himself quite well. You know, soaking up a lot of pressure from from Teo and, and Ringrose. Bundy Aki, you know, is instrumental. He's given away a lot of penalties and yellow cards, but his physicality and passion for that Connick jersey is, you know, is monumental. And I, I think he's a really creative player as well as a physical one. Um, Matt Healy was probably frustrated with his performances. A number of uh, the Connick, you know, handling areas. Uh, errors came from him but yeah. they came from you know breaks or defenders beaten so he, he was doing the you know the the hard things right it's just a case of holding on to the ball after Especially contact the half, yeah. and then John Muldoon you know John Muldoon is, is the perfect example of the exception to the rule that all dogs cannot learn new tricks 33 years of age he's been a complete revelation for for Pat Lamb and you know Dave Ellis, the skills coach, you know John Muldoon was a fantastic epitome of Connacht. Oh, he tried very hard, but he slipped off tackles and his head went down after a number of time. You know, you see the performances against Ulster, even in Pat Lamb's first season. But that performance against Munster, you know, John Muldoon he got a yellow card actually, funnily enough. But he came back on the field and he was a man possessed, like I said. And I was actually looking for him to be included in that Six Nations squad. You know, Ireland were without a lot of leaders, and you know, fresh voice like John Muldoon, I thought would have been a, you know, um, would have been fantastic. So I think John Muldoon is going to set the tone for that, you know, uh, that back row that performed so well against Leinster, and with Nick Williams lost to injury, Ulster will be missing a lot of physicality that would break through that kind of defence. So I think it might be coming down to Bundy Aki setting the tone for the backs, and Muldoon setting it for the back rowers. Right, we're coming down the closing stretch in both the Pro 12 and this conversation, but we have, look at the table. Connacht 63, Leinster 59, four points back, but more impo- uh, immediately more importantly, Munster 52 on in fourth and Ulster 51. This is a huge weekend for Munster and Ulster, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. You know, the the, the, the tiny amount of points separating top from, from bottom or, or even more importantly, into the top four yeah. you know uh, I'm pretty sure Ulster actually have to play con- uh, Munster so you're looking at fifth and fourth going up against each other in the coming weeks that's going to be huge uh, but I think you know the top four they're all playing each other this week so 
you know, points are going to be won and lost between these top four. So it's not even a case of these, you know, these contenders playing teams that have nothing to play for. Points are going to be going back and forth between these top yeah. four. And what I love about this season, and it's similar to the the Premier League, is that you know the the top four is so tightly contested, and it adds a real grit to a Pro Twelve that maybe you know got a lot of uh, you know a stick for for not being that that competitive of a competition. Yeah. But I Very mean, the, as well. yeah, with. Uh, with Connacht, you know, adding it to the mix, you're always going to have Munster, Ulster, Leinster competing, and and Glasgow and Ospreys are, are always going to push. So it's great to see the Pro 12 still mattering towards the latter end of the season. Hopefully, I'm not going to end on a negative note. What are the chances of one of the four provinces missing out in the top six? If anyone's going to miss out, I think it's going to be Munster. Okay. Uh, you look at their run, and they have a lot of games. And I was looking at the other day; they could possibly only win one of their next four matches. You know, uh, that Sebre match actually being one of them. They have Leinster away, Connacht away, and Edinburgh at home. And you know, Edinburgh have just lost one more than they've won. But under Alan Solomon's, they've they've been a pretty good dogged team. And the additions of Phil Burley and Nasi Manu from the Highlanders, you know, in the Super Rugby have brought a huge bite to that team and, and unlocked an efficiency in it so I think if we're going to see anybody dropping out it, it might be Munster Well Billy I, I, ho- I hope not that's not the case being <laughs> a Munster man myself but thank you for joining us and we'll see how that goes this week It's a pleasure Now we move on to soccer after two uh, friendly internationals for the Republic of Ireland in the last five days I'm joined in studio with Gavin O'Callaghan who's, who's accompanying me and Billy uh, How are you getting on Gavin? Uh, not too bad lads How are you? Bit, bit of bad luck with Rob Elliott You're a Newcastle fan I know it's terrible especially going into Saturday's big game against Norwich and that's not even an understatement now because Norwich are the closest rivals and between the three teams with Sunderland included as well only one of those are going to stay up and now Newcastle are going in with both of their goalkeepers injured which means Alnwick is going to probably get a start and hopefully he'll do okay but I'm not feeling too confident for Rafa Benitez's men at the moment Yes, you know, speaking as an, an old man looking at knee injuries like the more innocuous it looks the worse it kind of is you and I were speaking about that Breen and you know uh, Elliot's knee injury you know, while diving, it didn't look flashy, like in terms of how it could be injured, but you just know that's that it's horrible, and yeah. there are talks coming out that it's ligament damage, and he's out, out of the Euros. It's it's horrible to see. It's such a shame for him as well because he has been Newcastle's best player this season. No, he has like <laughs> he's, when when Tim yeah. Cruel kind of got injured, everybody yeah. went into panic mode, and Rob Elliott has filled his boots adequately and really really thought he'd have a good chance of you know getting his games in the Euros this summer, and this was kind of before. It, Randolph started to really shine as well and West Ham kind of started to c- keep up their yeah. uh, their Champions League bid but it's just very very unfortunate now that he's not going to have that chance Well before we go into more negative stuff we'll start off with hopefully some positive stuff how do you think we're fixed after them two games leading into the summer? Um, there's still a few questions that need to be to be answered but I think it's safe to say that Paul McShane's international career is probably over yeah, after I'd, that I'd agree. Um, we might have a striker issue, I suppose. Kevin Doyle, Shane Long, Robbie Keane. I mean, Pilkington as well, Daryl Murphy. Yeah. Um, I don't really know. It's still not that clear where the goals are going to come from because obviously we got two quick penalties last night. One of them deserved, one of them controversial. Yeah. But um, if Shane Long isn't stepping up to the plate, where are we going to get it from? 
because Shane Long is one of them players who could score five and six games and then he could go cold for ten. Yeah. Uh, it, it, is, it is a bit of a question mark, and especially with Jonathan Walters as well. Kind of, He can play on that position, but he went back to Stoke with an injury. Going to that back-to-back penalties, you're a suspect of one of them. Well, the first one, it's... Uh I don't know how you I don't really know how you can give it it's kind of debatable first of all whether the keeper has both his hands on the ball before Shane mm. Long gets his foot to it when he does get it away okay maybe he goes down you could argue it might be a penalty he's definitely not denying any goal scoring opportunity the ball is definitely too far away from Shane Long to make anything of it even if he wasn't taken down so I'm not too sure what way you could call it from that yeah just like Gavin said it, again to use the word it looked a little innocuous you know the keeper's hands on the ball and you know was it a goal scoring opportunity I, I'm not sure but you know the second one was uh, was probably far more deserved uh, yeah I, I, I completely agree with both them both the sentiments that you share as <laughs> Shane Duffy man of the match against the Swiss we're going to kind of go back and forth between both the games because I think it's important because we saw two sides of Ireland in both the games but Shane Duffy man of the match with Kieran Clark, who also got the goal, they both yeah. corrected for the first goal. Uh, is John O'Shea and Richard Kill's positions at risk? Um, John O'Shea, maybe. He's not having a great season with Sunderland this year. Yeah. Richard Keogh, judging by the fact that he didn't play at all last night, I think it might have been safe to say after the Switzerland game that um, there might not be any more question marks over him that O'Neill has made his decision. And he's. I'd be very, very confident he's going to make the squad. Whether he will so down the starting position is yet to be seen. And how impressed were you with Shane Duffy? Very in well, the first like, game in the against Switzerland. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, you can't really question when the both of them, him himself and Clark, managed to play a team that you would probably argue are of a higher standard than the Republic yeah. of Ireland, and they managed to keep a clean sheet. And it, it's it's funny, you know, because Kieran Clark has been not having much joy himself at his club. Uh, you know, mm. I, I think they've the second most conceded goals at home in the Premier League. I think only to Everton, which is which is a shock in itself. But uh, it's 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 a it's a funny one. And were you impressed with Kieran Clark as well? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, like just the way they connected for the goal as well, because you can imagine the way the group stages are going to go when we get to June. We are going to be on the back foot a lot, and we are going to be targeting these kind of set pieces, and it's kind of. It's very, very promising to see now that we have two centre-backs who really are going to actually pose a threat in front of goal. I'm under the illusion, if I was to ask you the question of who would you pick as your two centre-halves, you would pick Kieran Clark and Richard Keogh? Uh No, I'd probably... I'd be, I'd be interested to see how Duffy gets on with another few games, but I at the moment, Keogh, yeah. Keogh, OK. Uh Moving on to now, Jack Button, we saw he got injured for England. Shea Given now has the chance to, to get back in. It's kind of two doors <laughs> opening for him. It, it's kind of funny, you know, it seems like he, not that we want him to go away, but he just, it's he's not his career isn't ending and he, yeah, you know, keeps going. It's very strange to see Shea Given still in, in the running for that, for that position because after 2012, we all kind of thought that was the end of his career as we know it for Ireland. And to be fair, look, he could be part of the squad's um, he probably will be part of the squad, but the odds of him getting a game would make take something very drastic to happen to both Randolph and possibly Westwood or Ford. Yeah, I think you know you talk about a double door opening. You know the Elliot, to, uh, the injury to Elliot has opened the door internationally, and the injury for in Stoke means he's getting a position to uh, or a platform to show that he he's able he he's deserving of that place in Ireland. You know. Yeah, I'm going to ask you now the other side of the pitch. We we talked a little bit about it, but. 
do you know anyone else who wants to play for Ireland? <laughs> uh, we were in the running for Harry Kane there yeah. for a while. I yeah. kind of missed the boat on that one. <laughs> but, like, you know, Pilkington, who has only, I think he started one game against the US, he did score, we were at that game. Dylan McGoldrick uh, hasn't had his way yeah. with Ipswich as well as he had it last year. Darren Murphy hasn't been as prominent with Ipswich, even though he has been starting, but they've been more, but it's been more of a team. We've effort, kind of already know? see Darren Murphy get his Irish chance as well. Yeah. And, and he, he didn't look too bad. I think he's held up the ball well, but yeah. as, as opposed to going forward, I think... I mean, as far as we're concerned for holding up the ball, there's nobody better than Jonathan Walters. Yeah. So. <laughs> we're talking about Darren Murphy getting getting his chance for Ireland. Isn't he 33? He's, he's getting his end. chance for Ireland at 33 years old. Looking to be our youngest striker at the moment. 29. <laughs> well, he, he's he's a he's a Waterford man, and I, I've kind of followed his career just because he's you know one of one of the lads. And uh, you know he was at Celtic. He had a few spells at Sunderland as well. I, um, never, and it, it wasn't really a, an inch, a very eye-opening goal-scoring record that he had. And then Ipswich, just out of nowhere, mm. he was top scorer in I think in England for a while. Uh, so I, I've yet to see it at Ireland level. But I don't think I trust him uh, as a as our only option anyway. But yes. hopefully Shane Long and John Walters will be fit. And you know, Robbie Keane still has his, has one eye mm. at the, at that your position as well. Do you think? I'm very confident Keane will be there, but I don't think he'll make the pitch at all there because you know it's unless it's like a ceremony <laughs> after two defeats in the first. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't think Martin O'Neill will be too heartbroken now if you got a phone call from Robbie Keane saying, you know, my fl- my flight's delayed today, <laughs> which is a shame. I don't think I'll make the start. But you know, apparently for these warm ups, you know, Martin. O'Neill was, you know, kind of said without saying it that he was going to leave Robbie back across the states. He wasn't mm. going to bother shipping him over for the Atlantic. And then all of a sudden, you know, Robbie King yeah. just turned up for this yeah. camp kind of thing. <laughs> We've seen in the first game kind of experimental midfield. The second one was more of a fixed one that you might expect to see. I know Union O'Kane got the nod as well, yeah. but you know you had Wes you had Wes Hoolan as well, um, McCarthy and Whelan. But uh, do you think Myler and O'Kane have done anything to push into this midfield? That, which is probably, I think it's safe to say, it's probably our safest position. I think so, yeah. I don't think anybody can shift Len Whelan at the moment. I think yeah. he's having a great season. I think he's so. having a phenomenal he's, season. Um, it, the same could be said for, I suppose, you're going to push Jonathan Walters out left. He's not going to play in the centre. There might be, yeah, I suppose the second centre mid spot might be up for grabs, but it's very hard to see who's going to take it. I mean... The, the Irish contingent and Norwich as well seem like they're going to stamp down their places. I mean, Robbie Brady, I suppose, can move up into the midfield line and you're going to have Wes Hoolan as well, who is probably the favourite at the moment to take even take a more central role. Um, after that, jeez, I'm not too sure now. How many, how many strikers would you bring... Or how many? Sorry, how many midfielders would he generally name in a twenty-three? Twenty-three. Squad? So we'll say four strikers if he has yeah. them. If he <laughs> has them, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's nineteen. He's going to bring three keepers, sixteen. I think it's eight and eight. Then you know. Eight and eight. Which not all of them are central midfielders. Yeah. You know, fix. You know, some would be wingers. Maybe he might go nine and seven. I'm not sure, but that, you know, it's. I think I still think it's their safest position on the pitch midfield. Mm. I think they have, 
Yunan O'Kane really, really impressed me over the yeah. two. I, like I know he missed the chance in the first the first game near the near the death, but you know the idea was right, execution just slightly off, mm. and you know he had the confidence to take the shot that early on. You know, um, yeah. and I think the way he he set up the the second goal, I know it was co- the first goal. I know it was controversial enough, but you know he, he still you know he's he's he was linking up well with the strikers. Mm, do you think he'd get ahead of McLean because you can imagine it, because the more defensive roles are going to be between McCarthy and Whelan yeah and that kind of leaves James McLean is probably going to have a bit more license to run but yeah and then you have you have Aidan McGeady he didn't play too well in the first game but he's getting regular mm. regular game time at Sheffield Wednesday now yeah. uh, will he make the squad will he start it's, it's, I, yeah. I, it is it's we have a you flood, see, of, t- of, flood talent of wingers there. yeah flooded with wingers yeah because Walters, I would imagine, if we have a fit front one or two, he will yeah. be on the right wing. Because, yeah, because generally, I suppose we do play the five in midfield, one up front, yeah. and Jonathan Walters will kind of bounce between a more left wing role and a striker role, yeah. depending on... And we haven't even mentioned Basulan, really, <laughs> have we, you know? Uh, if he He's wants having to. a good season He's, as well. Yeah, he is having a great season. Um, but... Uh, that's you know, we might have some selection issues, but so do England, don't they? <laughs> I'll tell you what, Leon. They they've got a big question on their hands. Roy Hodgson does with what do you do with Wayne Wayne Rooney at the moment? He's your captain, and he's not not really fit to start. Really. Well, maybe put him into the Robbie Keane box of having your captain <laughs> on the yeah, on the sidelines. I mean, you just look at the performance yeah, of the, some I of the players see. who are there, and you just have to ask. You're going to have to shift a you know a, in a lot of moving parts to get him back into the pitch. Wait. You'd have to imagine Harry Kane is destined now to start up front each game, provided nothing happens to his legs in the meantime. My take on the whole situation is Vardy and Kane have answered the question every yeah. time that they've stood up. Kane came from nowhere in that. He was at loan at Leicester mm. the 2013. Oh, it's a perfect fairy tale. He came from nowhere. Pochettino gave him his chance. Sherwood, you know, gave him a mm. game now and again, you know. A few cup games, but Pochettino gave him the chance. And when you know the first season, his first main season last year, we were like, "Oh, he can't do the second season." Some people yes. were saying I wasn't in that category. But look at Jamie Vardy, you know, oh, he's not going to score another goal. <laughs> he's not going to touch the record. Comes on against Germany and scores a back heel. The ex- straight exactly. off the mark like. against one of the best, the most efficient defenses in in the world yeah. uh, at, at when when they're at their best, but. What I what I have to say is, you know, maybe the only thing I could see of them getting nervous or not bottling their opportunities, you know, the overhype of the England white jersey, you know. But you can't really accuse Wayne Rooney of not falling for that. I mean, he only scored his first World Cup goal exactly. in twenty fourteen, yeah. so it's not like it's uh, anything unusual, even for the bigger names. Another young fella, Del Ali, he was absolutely scintillating <sighs> at times against Germany. He, that one sitter just kind of ruined it for him yeah. because everything else he did for that ninety minutes was <laughs> perfect. It was no, it was perfect, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and another kind of situation they might have is just brushing against England. We like to keep in con- close contact with these teams <laughs> that are around us uh, geographically, but centre half partnership. Uh, Cahill got the captaincy. Anyway. It's going to be if he's given him the captain's armband. Yeah, solid. And finally, Jordan Henderson. <laughs> There's been talks that he might be leaving in Liverpool in the summer, even though he's the captain. He's not getting game time. Yeah, it's it's a weird season now. He's he played quite well last year. Um, I don't really know what to say about Henderson anymore. I suppose it's just lack of consistency because he has come on. He's scored important goals for Liverpool every now and again. But 
As far as, you know, when you look at the England midfield of about six years ago and the England yeah. midfield line at the moment and you try to compare, like, the role that you're they're planning on having Henderson hold down compared to what who was filling those positions a few years ago, you'd say he should be nowhere near yeah. white shirt, but... Who would you place instead of him? I can't think of too many a, a defensive midfielder. Um, well, Barkley can play defensive midfielder, yeah, but I think he's wasted there. He's a waste. I think he's yeah. wasted there. Um, John Joe Shelby's kind of had his chance. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I still don't. I still kind of question his defensive role in the team. You might disagree with me there. Um, I think he's more of a deep line playmaker, but he well, can yeah. play. Well, since joining Newcastle, his goal scoring form has just gone out the window, and he has been a defensive midfielder. Yes, that's because he kind of needed him there, haven't yeah. they? Um, Milner as well has played there in the past. Uh, I'm not sure about Wilshire's fitness. Will he be back in time? You couldn't rely on him you anyway. Couldn't, though, you, you couldn't know? rely on him at all. Um, I think that's one position that they need someone, and they need someone fast. Uh, Carrick. Is he done? Mm. You know, going by all these question marks, I could ask the two of you: All right, is the hype train fully in motion in England? Should we get behind, not get behind them, as in cheering for them? But you know, do they have a chance at this Euro twenty sixteen? <laughs> well, well, we we most definitely won't get behind them. Behind them, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, but you know, I I think with Roy Hodgson picking informed players like you know Kane and Vardy and then having someone reliable like Cahill to take over the captaincy meaning you can have the likes of Kane and Vardy in the team you know that's a really strong and they've only made their debut in the last year yeah. you know they only have a handful of international appearances but they're bringing their club form onto the international stage so you'd have to say they're in with a good shout of you know maybe an underperforming Germany team but I think they're in with a good shout of uh, performing well at the Euros <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's a hard one to say. Like, I think as far as getting behind them, I suppose the most I'm going to give them is it's the most lovable England team I can remember. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very strange that if we said two years ago, you know, Daniel Sturridge might not actually play for England in the 2016 Euros, which yeah. could easily be the case. Yep. Um, I mean, it's just it's kind of the fairy tale, I suppose, of what's happening with Harry Kane and J- Jamie Vardy has really captured our imaginations and. Then you saw on Friday night as well, Eric Dyer coming up with the winning goal too, which was kind of a great thing to see because he are. just popped out Eric out Dyer. last season. Defensive midfielder. But he's more of a he's more of a wing back really, but he could I suppose he's he could, played a few times for Spurs this season and I've been impressed, especially <laughs> when when he's played my team Chelsea, you know. Fancy him as a bit of a Philip Lamb type player. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He's <laughs> just a bit more in stature. What, what was the joke? Uh thank God the Portuguese uh, didn't get didn't get to him first because he's born in Portugal. The, the, yeah, the sure he, he, they Spurs signed him from the Lisbon Academy. Yeah, yeah, um which is very peculiar. He doesn't look yeah. very uh, Portuguese. No. Um but would you be disappointed? If you saw Welbeck starting in this Euros ahead of Vardy or ahead of Kane, <laughs> even though Welbeck has been really, really good for England, yeah, I no, you would be disappointed. You kind of you want everybody wants the Jamie Vardy story to happen, and everybody wants it. Like even as much as you'd hate to see England have success, or well, it's not even the team you hate really. It's kind of knowing that you're going to have to look at their media for the next few weeks and basically hop on this hype train whether you like it or not. But no, I think. Danny Welbeck, uh, he he will go, I suppose. Oh, if, we're gonna, if we're going to name five strikers out now, you're going to have Rooney will go. You're going to have, obviously, the two boyos that we were just talking about. You're going to have Welbeck, and you're going to have one other spot. Sturridge. Possibly Sturridge, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. Although um, it's all, you know, 
it's all up for if someone gets injured so that that is um that could change. Uh, you have a little uh, Paddy Power fun for us there, uh, Gav. Do yeah, it's, as uh, of twenty I've, hours ago. What happens to England before an international t- tournament? I'm before that you you read some of this out or go to summarize it. Even I just have to say this is to a T, spot on, correct. It's yeah. Sky Sports, the cycle of what happens within, whenever an England international match comes along. And typical Paddy Power just trolling the English at their absolute <laughs> points as well because <laughs> they never waste an opportunity to have a pop at anybody, really. So we'll start with uh, the stages go with two years in advance. So we're, we're going to go back to 2014. We'll say this about England and I suppose you can reply and just say whether you thought this was an accurate estimation of the England football team after after the World Cup. After another early exit, there is talk of shame. Too many foreigners in the Premier League trying to copy the German slash Spanish slash Dutch model of football. Players are overpaid prima donnas. Chris Waddle goes on a terrifying rant. Everyone says how much sense he talks. <laughs> you say that's accurate? Yeah, no, um, I, I definitely would. I think it's always, oh, should look at the Spanish models, or oh, homegrown, homegrown. <laughs> There's always a homegrown rule yeah. introduced after in a tournament. Like, it is true. Oh, I yeah. Think. Now the Germans have a right and Spain were wrong, <laughs> despite winning three major trophies in six years. Uh, okay, so we're going to 18 months ago, so we're at the start of the Europe, European qualifying <laughs> campaign. As the qualifying campaign is about to start, pundits agree that the manager should just forget this tournament and start planning for the one after. (laughs) Cries of, we need the plan for the future and we want somebody to think of the children can be heard. (laughs) That's just, it's just so England. I mean, even look at, you know, their talk about the World Cup. Like, Eddie Jones, the new English coach, he's already talking about the next World Cup. Like, how many... (laughs) You know, tournaments. Yeah. yeah. How many tournaments and, uh, you know, Lions Japan. tours do they have since, you know, before then? It's just disgraceful. You probably have to love that, though. I, I said, we won't go too much back into rugby, but like after winning a Grand Slam and then him turning around and being like, yeah, I'm just looking forward to the world. That's four years. Yeah, four years. Yeah. Time. I must want to dominate the world now. <laughs> <laughs> so going to 12 months ago, England make a good start to their qualifying campaign, Comfortable, comfortably beating Slovenia slash Narnia, Mordor, etc. <laughs> John Joe Shelby makes the squad, <laughs> while James Milner wins his 167th cap. <laughs> oh, mitts and legs. My cat is great. Fast forward two months later. This is the best one. <laughs> England beat Little 6-0 in their own backyard. <laughs> <laughs> the manager speaks about a perfect blend of youth and experience. A young player performs well for 20 minutes and is anointed as the future national scapegoat. <laughs> who is that young player? Who are we going to give this title to? Um... If Verdi doesn't perform, oh, Kane's twenty-two. Yeah. He could be the young gun. Yeah, I suppose. But the they've kind of proven. Yeah, them, they've sorry, definitely yeah. proven themselves at club level. I suppose when we've seen over the past of some, you know, when remember when Theo Walcott <laughs> got taken to the World Cup and <laughs> um, he barely played a game, and all of a sudden he didn't even play when he went. Uh, it's don't even get me started with Theo Walcott. It took all <laughs> the attention of everything wrong England did in that tournament, and everybody just asked one why. So. Yeah, Delali, my yeah, okay. I think, I think he's on the that's same. a fair that's yeah. our fair uh, call so we got fast forward six months to go so we're kind of in this in this kind of part now they've secured qualification what about Pun- 10 games to go uh, it goes from six months and the next <laughs> one's two weeks so we'll we, I suppose we, we can put in our own three month estimation yeah. if you want now but England secure qualification Pundits start arguing over the starting eleven for the first time of the tournament. To be fair, we're doing that right yeah. now. Yeah. We're not even English. <laughs> Expectations we are raised. Know this <laughs> <laughs> key players get it gets injured. Uh, who's our key player? 
Mm, it's not jackpot. And who's no, their keep there? Rooney. 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 Every, this is six months, isn't it? I think we're arguing over whether he's a key player anymore. Exactly. Everyone forgets England players can't pass the ball or that Wayne Rooney melts in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where they're located in France, though, if they're on the Côte d'Azur. So, yeah, so this isn't part of the Paddy Powers one, but I suppose we're going to just throw in three months ago. England beat decent football team in, in international friendly. Who, uh, you know, don't put out a full starting 11 and have had question marks after coming off a hangover of winning the World Cup Uh, then they choke in front of their home fans at Wembley which bring them back down to earth but they still have a few more friendlies ahead to get that hype train back going (laughs) in motion that's my that's my synopsis (laughs) so we got two weeks ago and this is probably I don't know, the most butterflies you get in your stomach. I love the two weeks before a major yeah. tournament when you start like stockpiling your preview magazines and every radio planning your show bets. Has, has it mentioned, even if it's three women talking about, I don't know, yeah. fashion or something. <laughs> it's, it's mentioned, it is. So every car in England that's plastered in those shitty flags. Pundits, former players and current players start to suggest that maybe, perhaps, maybe this could be England's best chance to win a tournament since 1966. <laughs> well, it is though, I think. And we we generally hear quotes like, "Well, Greece won it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Denmark oh. didn't even qualify, and they won it. Exactly. And if we get France in the final, Portugal lost to Greece in the final back in 02. And we beat Germany, and Germany <laughs> lost to Ireland, and uh, <laughs> Ireland have Robbie Keane. <laughs> oh, absolutely spectacular! I think it's down to a T. And Paddy Power did an absolute marketing genius once again. I think the anger from English fans would make them gamble with them more to prove them wrong. <laughs> and I think they would see an influx of England to win the Euros to prove Paddy Power wrong with that betting company. Um, I have two more points quickly to go with you. El Clasico weekend. We have okay. um, Just before we go to El Clasico, can I just read you the top comment on the, on. Uh, do. On the Paddy Power page? Somebody just wrote in their estimation of what Ireland do when they're building up to a tournament. Is Robbie Keane still alive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Grand, so <laughs> <laughs> that's that. Uh, that's. <laughs> I think well, this is the first year we're kind of like. Yeah. I hope he's dead. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, no! No, we don't hope you're dead, Robbie. Just less of that. No, El Clasico, Gav. You're kind of our international correspondent. You love these <laughs> Italian and Spanish fixtures. Enrique versus Zidane. We were seeing um, in the past. Has, has, has Zidane not been sacked yet? <laughs> <laughs> it's only a matter of time. You know? Oh, jeez. I was kind of. <laughs> I'm surprised he's still there at this stage, that, that the fans haven't forgotten everything he's done for that club and completely turned on him and. This is. Call him the worst thing to happen since the Holocaust. This is very, very intriguing because as players, they have come. They con- have had confrontations on the pitch. There's been near eye gouges in these El Clasicos in within many players in many games, but these two players come together more than anyone else. It seems back back when they were both playing. Um, do you think Zidane needs a win? Um, I don't think it matters too much to be honest. Obviously, you want to you want to win this for the fans, but look, Barcelona have already have ten points on Real Madrid. Their league is essentially over because I mean Barcelona can go out play th- like. I don't know. You could they could nearly consider playing their under twelves for this match, yeah. taking the twenty nil drubbing, laughing yeah. their arses off while they go to Real Betis the next week <laughs> and uh, just walk it through, like you know. Um, it's very very hard to see what they're going to do with it. I, both teams will have Champions League games coming up. I mean, 
Real Madrid aren't in any danger of bl- dropping below third because they're 12 points clear of Villarreal. So it's just very much probably the, the biggest nothing of a Clásico we're going to see for a while. Which probably opens the door to dirty filthiness because it is yeah. a Clásico and there's a bit of pride to be had in these games even if there isn't a trophy to be Even if for. it is under 12s. Did you see the under 12s oh. El Clásico that took place this week? Oh. I did not, no. It's very worth Googling. There was a 35-yard free kick scored into the top corner. Oh, it was oh, Albeit on a goalkeeper that was only about four foot. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the passion reigns throughout the, uh, the ages there. Um, and finally, this is a final point. Ireland have announced uh, a friendly with Belarus in Turner's Cross in Cork. Oh, what, that's interesting. What, what do you think of that? Well, it's It'd be uh, great to have it in Turner's Cross. Exactly, that place gets gets rocking when it, oh, when it does. It does yeah. uh, historically as well. Um, what do you think of that? I I don't think Belarus. I know it's before. It's going to be one of the three friendlies before, but. You know, it's not going to grab an, uh, a crowd that will attract forty, fifty thousand to the Aviva. So, do you think this is the right move to kind of bring it down to Munster? I think they'll fill out Turner's oh, Cross without, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. I think I don't know for anybody who's living in Cork to have this opportunity to go see them play, even if it's not going to be the first team. It's still it's you're still going to get a great night out out of Cork City and going <laughs> down to Turner's Cross to see the national team play, and it is something that you kind of feel they should do more, even with Thoman Park or. Look at um, England, uh, Roy Hodgson, I think very, very wisely in his three games leading up to, I'm not sure who they're playing in what chronological order, but their first game is in is in the Etihad, it's in Manchester, yeah. then three days later they play their second friendly in Newcastle, it's in, um, yeah. it's, uh, it's in, it's up there, and then another three or four days later they come down to Wembley, he's getting their players travelling early, getting used to this yeah. kind of mentality of you're on the move, It's you're not fixed in one location at one at a time, so I think it's a very wise move by both both yeah. FA and FAI. And then just even just promoting your fan base or increasing it because, Brian, you said 40,000, 50,000. There wasn't even 40,000 in that Aviva. It was, it was 30,000. Yeah. Yeah. It was 30,000. So they're not even looking at these matches as, you know, an opportunity to fill the coffers of the, uh, you know, the FAI. So I think, you know, bringing players down, like you said, a bit of travelling, you know, adding it to that kind of like competition in the Euros, you know, it's, it's a fantastic idea. So I'm going fu- to I'm gonna leave you with this question. Are we starting to get excited? For the Euros, yes, <laughs> not not quite yet. Now I'm gonna kind of still excited to see how the Premier League pans out, whether Leicester will actually do it. I suppose we're kind of a lot of eyes are on Connacht as well. Similar story going on in the Pro Twelve, and there's still a lot of Champions League to come to. Yeah. Um. No, it's I suppose it's the same. We get one week of internationals, we all get obsessed with it, and then the next week the Premier League comes back, and we kind of forget about it then until the next friendly comes around and. I suppose that's just the case here. We've got a lot to do, but yeah, you're we're you can be pretty confident every single week that we're going to be watching each Irish player like a hawk in each yeah. in each club game, and it is going to be get commented. Oh, Robbie Brady got an assist in the two, <laughs> yeah. two, two, three, three, two <laughs> defeat to Newcastle. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Um, from a, a rugby fan's perspective, is there going to be rugby fans jumping on the bandwagon in twenty six in in France? Oh, definitely not. Don't, <laughs> don't even say <laughs> jump on the bat. Ireland, Ireland are competing on exactly. the international stage, yeah. and you know the like Euros the is is always too. such a is always such a highlight, and uh, you know to see any Irish team perform on the world stage. But you know, like I've said, that there's a lot of stuff to get excited about. Even you know, Connacht, Leicester, then Champions League as well. So save save the majority of the excitement until that's all over. We haven't even mentioned GA, but that's no, that's all we have time for today. I'd like to thank Billy Keenan and Gavin O'Callaghan for joining me. We'll be back next week, probably on Tuesday, if not w- w- once again on Wednesday, and I hope to he- hear from you soon. Thanks. Thank you. I can't believe we did it. 
Lacatier with a cross, and there's the goal! Ireland put their place in the last 16. to send England home. An entire nation waits. Macketeer, still Macketeer. And Macketeer has done it! Brazil now! Republic of Ireland have won the World Cup. They said it was impossible, but nobody told Jason Macketeer. Carlsberg don't do dreams, but if we did, they would probably be the best dreams in the world. Uh-huh.